0: Father, as we come to your word now, we pray that you would give us listening ears to hear. We pray that you'd enable George, by your spirit, to unpack your word to us today in a way that stirs a greater love of you in our hearts, a greater appreciation of all you've done, that our lives would speak your praise in all their ways. In Jesus' name, Amen. Great. Thank you, Dave. Um, Well, if you've got your Bibles open, uh, if we could turn back to our second reading, uh, Matthew chapter 1, which I think is on page uh, 965. Can you all hear me okay? Great. Well, if if you're stuck for Christmas present ideas... I can recommend the book Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine, I think the picture's up there on the screen, Um, by Gail Honeyman. Has anyone read that? Great, it's a lovely book. Um, It's a book about loneliness, about friendship, about faithfulness. Uh, Eleanor Oliphant is a troubled 30-something who has a difficult past, uh, but thinks she's coping fine on her own, until she meets Raymond, who is rather an unlikely saviour. And through his friendship with Eleanor, she begins to open out and to heal. And through the book, Raymond proves himself as a friend who walks with Eleanor, Eleanor no matter what he learns about her past. He's a faithful friend. Those themes, friendship, loneliness, mental illness, that, that are there in the book, are all quite big in our culture at the moment. A quick trawl through the BBC News website on Thursday uh, revealed articles all along these lines. There was an article about an app called Inkvite that makes writing a less of a lonely activity. There was a video there to help people reach out to their friends who are struggling with mental illness. There was an article about two twins that had been um, isolated from each other after a car accident. Hear those themes as they crop up. And even the day's main story, you might remember, you might even have been affected by it, the disruption of O2's mobile network. Even that was reported from the angle uh, of its effects on our connectedness. So one O2 customer from Norwich says, I'm disabled, I'm in a wheelchair. So having no mobile data and also no calls means I can't contact anyone if I have a fall, if I need anything. Do you hear those themes of friendship and Loneliness and connection. Friendship saves could be a message of our culture, as well as its opposite, loneliness kills. See, we're all looking for friends who will be faithful to us no matter what. We're all fighting loneliness in one form or another. Well, what about God? Is God faithful? Is he a faithful friend? Can he be counted on? Well, it depends how we measure faithfulness. One way of measuring it is by promises, isn't it? So husbands, wives, if you're married, you're faithful because you keep the promises that you made at your wedding. And adultery is called, is sort of classified as unfaithfulness precisely because it breaks those promises. So another way of asking, is God faithful, is does he keep his promises? Well, Matthew's genealogy says, yes, he does. Now, as we heard last week, if you were here, this slightly strange uh, opening of Matthew's gospel is like a a family history of Jesus. It is an account of Jesus' family history. And it has a very specific aim. If you look down at chapter 1, verse 1 of Matthew Uh, Matthew's trying to prove in this family history that Jesus is, as he says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why is that important? Well, it's because Matthew, if if you know anything about Matthew, he writes as a Jew. Matthew's a Jew and he's trying to prove to his fellow Jews that Jesus is the one that they should embrace as their Messiah. And so to demonstrate that, right at the start of his Gospel, he establishes that Jesus stands in the royal line, the royal line that goes all the way back to King David and, and further back. And that's particularly relevant for today's section because all of the names that uh, were read earlier in uh, verses 7 to 11, these are all kings. These are the names of kings, rulers of uh, Israel in the Old Testament. It's a list of, of kings. And King David, King David is, a, is a sort of hinge. So do you remember if you were here last week, we, we saw that this genealogy is divided up into three sections of 14 names, 14 generations. Now actually that's not quite true, it's not accurate, but it's a useful device for Matthew because it, it gives a structure. And we just read here in verse 6. Jesse's the father of King David. That's the end of the first block. And then the second block, David was the father of Solomon. See, it's all about David, King David. Why is that important? Well, this is our message, I think, this morning. If you haven't been listening, just listen into this next sentence. See, the coming of Jesus was God's fulfilling a promise. A promise that he made to David. And that's where we need just to think about our first reading uh, today. We had that reading from 2 Samuel 7. It would be very useful just to turn to that very quickly. If you flick back in your Bibles to page 310, 310, this is crucial to to understanding what's going on in Matthew 1. Uh, So, 2 Samuel chapter 7. And if you look down at the bottom of page 310, uh, I'll just read from the second half of Verse 11. Now, God is here speaking to David, okay, and he says this. The Lord declares to you, David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and listen, I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever. Now do you see what's being promised here? David is David is sort of wanting to build God a house, a temple, a physical house. And God says, No, you're not the one who's going to build a house. I'm going to raise up one of your children. Further down the royal line, there's going to be another king who is going to rule over Israel, and he'll be the eternal king. His reign will go on forever. Now that's this wonderful promise, and all the way through the Old Testament. We see king after king raised up, and we we, we sort of we sort of ask, well, is that the promised king? And time and again, we see that no, they're not. And that's very relevant for these names in our genealogy. Let's turn back to Matthew, chapter one. Now, the important thing about these names, uh, these long list of kings, is that most of them were horrible. They were terrible kings. They were rebellious kings. But what we're going to learn this morning is that God kept the line of kings going even in the dark days of Israel's history of rebellion and sin, precisely because he made a promise to David, a promise that was fulfilled in the coming of Christ. See, here's my, here's my catchphrase for today. Again, if you've tuned out, listen into this. See, the coming of Christ shows that God is faithful to his promises That's what I want us to grasp today. The coming of Christ shows that God is faithful to his promises. And we're going to see three aspects of that faithfulness this morning. First of all, the coming of Christ shows God is faithful to his promises. Firstly, in spite of human rebellion. In spite of human rebellion. God keeps his promise to David in spite of human rebellion. Many times through Israel's history, God could have said, enough is enough. Because under some of these kings, the nation of Israel, God's people, just became very wicked and sinful. And again and again, the kings try God's patience. And each generation gets slightly worse. But time and time again, we read earlier on in the Old Testament, through the lives of these kings, we read a very significant thing. For the sake of David, the Lord was not willing to destroy his people. So all the way along... Through the dark days of the kings, God keeps his promise uh, to David. Let's just take a closer look at some of these names. So we have David and Solomon in verses 6 and 7. Now, David and Solomon were sort of the high point of uh, the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, God's people weren't sort of a, a gathering like this, they were a specific nation, like a country. And they were ruled by a king. David and Solomon were sort of the best kings. They were the high point of the kingdom. But after them, things, got, things went downhill rather quickly. So Rehoboam, in verse 7, uh, he was Solomon's son. And under him, uh, the kingdom of Israel split in two in civil war. He was a bad king. Then we have Abijah, verse 7. He ruled for three years. He was another bad king, committing all the sins that his father had done. Then we have Asa, verse 8. He ruled for 41 years. He was a good king. He, uh, he got rid of, of some of the, the idolatry in Israel. But then we have Jehoshaphat, verse 8. And he also did what was right. He was a good king. Uh, so we was sort of going through a good period of Israel. But then we get Jehoram, verse 8. He ruled for 8 years. And he was an evil king. Um, but yet again, in the account of Jehoram's life, we... We read that, nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy his people. Now then, in the genealogy, Matthew actually drops out three names, uh, three particularly wicked kings. And then we get Uzziah in verse 9. He reigned for a year, and he also did evil. He was a bad king. Then we get Jotham in verse 9. He was a good king. He, He did what was right. But then Ahaz, verse verse 9, he ruled for 16 years, and he didn't do what was right. He was another bad king. Then we get Hezekiah. He was a good king. Um, He also got rid of some of the idolatry in Israel. But then we get Manasseh, verse 10, who ruled for 55 years, and he was the worst so far. We read that he shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. 55 years, Manasseh. And then Ammon, who was another bad king, and he was assassinated. He reigned for two years. Then the kingdom goes up a little bit, and we get Josiah, verse uh, verse 11. He was a good king. If you know your Old Testament, Josiah uh, was a very good king. And under him, the nation of Israel sort of uh, revived a little bit. And um, we get a sort of little revival. But then it goes horribly wrong again we get Jeconiah we get a couple of names missed out again here but Jeconiah is the last one mentioned actually there is another one after Jeconiah called Zedekiah and he was a really bad king and under him God's people get exiled and we'll see more of that next week in other words God finally judges his people and that's the end of the uh, the royal line The names after, as we'll see next week, are not actually kings. But God doesn't stop the line. He keeps it going until we get to Jesus. We've learnt a lot there about about the different kings. But you see, the big message is that even though lots of them were were bad and and rebellious, uh, God kept the line going in spite of human rebellion. You see, the coming of Christ shows God is faithful to his promises in spite of Human sin and rebellion. See, Matthew wants us to see something of the quality of God's faithfulness, something of of the value of His commitment to His promises. See, you can't overcome God's faithfulness when He says that He when He promises to do something, nothing can stop Him. The promise sort of barrels down history; it just keeps on coming. It's a little bit like. Terminator. I don't know if you um, liked the Terminator films. I, I loved them as I was growing up and still do. Um, think of the Terminator, if you've ever seen the Terminator films. You know, you just keep throwing stuff at it. Uh, you know, a chair, you know, bullets, you know, a truck. But the Terminator just keeps on coming. It's a little bit like that, I think, with God's promises. The kings could chuck as much sin as they liked, but God's promise just kept on coming and then we get Jesus you see the application is simple Christian trust God trust him look at Jesus and see how committed God is to keeping his promises many of us find it hard I think to trust God sometimes because often perhaps we've been hurt by somebody maybe we've been betrayed others have let us down Because perhaps something more attractive came along. But that's not God. See, think about God. He's perfectly strong. So he won't be tempted away from keeping his promise by some better offer. God is perfectly powerful. So no evil or sin can drown out the promise. And he's perfectly wise. So no clever scheme can kind of outwit him. You know, it's like, oh, I was going to keep my promise, but I didn't see that coming. No, God never says that. See, Christian, whatever you're going through today, you can trust God. And though everyone else might let you down, he won't. And the good news, Christian, you see, your own sin doesn't disqualify you from benefiting from God's promises. It's easy to think sometimes, I'm just too sinful, God's given up on me. Perhaps your life is sort of suggesting to you that God has given up. But remember, he keeps his promise in spite of human sin. So come back to him today. The coming of Christ then shows that God is faithful to his promises, firstly, in spite of human rebellion. But secondly, the coming of Christ shows that God is faithful to his promises, secondly, not just in spite of human rebellion, but through human rebellion, through human rebellion. Now that sounds like the same thing, but it's a slightly different point. See, in these names of, 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 of the genealogy, we see something more. We see the dynamism of God's faithfulness. We see that it not only continues in spite of sin, but it, it sort of picks up sin in its sweep and transforms it. It's not just that God is faithful despite human sinfulness, He uses human sinfulness as part of His plan. Just look down at verse 6. We get one of the, the four women of the genealogy mentioned here. David's mother. Verse 6, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now that's an innocuous hint at a scandalous story. Do you remember the story in 2 Samuel of David and, and Bathsheba? King David lusted after Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, committed adultery with her And had her husband, Uriah, killed to cover it up. And then he married her. And we read, as we read the account of that, we read that at that point, what David had done displeased the Lord. And so he has to suffer judgment. David's son, born by his adultery, dies. But David and Bathsheba's second son is Solomon, who becomes King Solomon, the greatest and the wealthiest and the most sort of resplendent king of Israel. You see, David's sin was swept up in providence of God to lead to Jesus' coming. And we can see that as we consider the shape of this promise as well. You see, as the line of kings progressed and king after king failed to, to do good and just kept on doing evil... All they could do was bring the coming of Jesus closer. So you could say that God used the failure of each king just to make it even more certain that Jesus was going to come further down the line. You see, the coming of Christ shows that God is faithful to his promises, not just in spite of human sin, but through human sin. I was with a friend yesterday in London, and um, we, uh, he was telling me about another friend um, who had just been in a, in, a, in a sort of car accident and he'd written his car off and uh, he, some good came from this because um, he, I think he was pulling out of a roundabout and the guy in front of him just stopped so he, he sort of slammed into the back and he wrote the car off and the insurance company valued his car £2,000 more than he paid for it. <laughs> sure, I don't know how often that happens. But through this crash he suddenly finds himself £2,000 better off you see through the car crash of the kings of israel time and time again comes the infinite worth of god's greater king jesus sometimes god uses our mistakes and they lead to deeper and better things again there's great hope i think in this point you see christian you might think you've blown it just once too many times and you think the promises of God just can't apply to you. Perhaps you're, you've become a Christian recently and you look back in your past and there, there are lots of bad stuff there. And you think, well, can God really do something with me? Well, yes, he can. He can. He takes up everything in our lives, including the sin, and uses it for good. Now, that's not an excuse to sin. It's not an excuse, but it is... It is something that's hopeful when we do sin and we come back to God, and God uses our sin in His purposes. So, Christian, look at Jesus and see first of all, God is faithful to His promises, firstly, through human rebellion, sorry, firstly, in spite of human rebellion, and secondly, through human rebellion. But lastly, as I close, there's another thing here. See, the coming of Christ shows that God is faithful to His promises. Not just in spite of human rebellion, not just through human rebellion, but to redeem human rebellion. We need to ask, what would, what would these names, what would these verses have meant for Matthew's original readers? Well, as we saw at the start, their purpose is to show that Jesus really is the Messiah, the promised King. And therefore, that they should put their trust in him as their Messiah, that they should embrace him. We'll see next week that actually, at this point in the Jews' history, they were actually still in exile. In other words, if you were a Jew in Matthew's time, you would be thinking, actually, we are still under the judgment of God. And then Matthew says, well, here's Jesus, your Messiah. And so the big sort of application of these verses is... For us to put ourselves under the reign of King Jesus. To have our own human rebellion and sin redeemed. Because like the Jews, we too naturally are far away from God. See the Bible says that, that God is like a king. He's the king that we should follow. And yet we don't. Think of it a little bit like this. I believe that treason is still a capital offence in this country. Now imagine that I... Uh, uh, I broke into the Tower of London and I stole the crown jewels, if that were possible. You know, i get the crown, put it on my head and, uh, you know, get the robe, put it, put it on my shoulders and uh, think, great, I'm king. So i prance around London and pretending to be king because I've got the crown on my head. Now, question, would that make me king? It wouldn't, would it? Because while well, the queen is still on her throne... Prime Minister is still in government, the law is still in force, I would be judged and punished for treason. It's rather like that, I think, with us and God. You see, we pretend that we are little kings and little queens going round our lives with the crown on our heads, forgetting that actually God is still on his throne and that he will and does punish our rebellion. And that's where the Jews were as well. And the answer you see is to take off our little crowns. And see in Matthew 1 our true king. King Jesus. And we're to bow down to him. And as we do that he will redeem our own rebellion. As I finish two applications. Maybe you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. It's great that you're here. You're very welcome here. Please see in these verses that... Uh, the, the greatest thing, the greatest thing that you must do in your life is to put your life under the rule of King Jesus. And unlike any of these other kings, he will rule you with grace and mercy. I want to have you put yourself under his reign. And if you have, Christian, there's a little lesson here, I think, about how Jesus rules us. Because unlike any of these other bad kings of Judah... King Jesus intends to redeem all of your rebellion. He intends to remove all of your idolatry. See, as we come to Jesus and we follow him, we find that actually the way he works out his promises in our lives is to make us more like him. So I wonder, are you resisting him this morning or are you submitting to him? Well, what have we learned this morning? We've learned that the coming of Christ shows that God is faithful to his promises. Firstly, in spite of human rebellion. Secondly, through human rebellion. And lastly, to redeem human rebellion. Remember Eleanor Oliphant. We're all looking for a faithful friend, aren't we? Someone to walk through life with us. Well, look to Jesus, who is the faithful God. As we close, let's pray together. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David. Lord, thank you that you are uh, the true king, the son of David, uh, the one who rules your people with love and with grace. And we pray that you would help us, you would convince us of your faithfulness to us individually and that you'd help us to this week follow you as our king in jesus name amen